Welcome to the Evidence to Impact podcast, the podcast that brings together academic researchers, government partners, and others outside of academia to talk about research insights and real-world policy solutions in Pennsylvania and beyond. I'm Michael Donovan, the Director of Policy and Outreach at Penn State's Administrative Data Accelerator. In this episode, I'll be talking with Dr. Glenn Sterner, Associate Assistant Professor of Criminal Justice at Penn State Abington, as well as Mr. Steve Forzato, Deputy Chief of Statewide Drug Initiatives in the Pennsylvania Office of the Attorney General. Thank you both so much for uh, joining me today uh, to talk about some very, very important topics. Um, if I could, just for our, our listening audience, have you kind of give yourselves a little uh, introduction and some of your background. Yeah, not a problem. Michael, thank you so much for having us here today. I think that the work that you're doing to bring science to policy, even out into practice, is really important so that we can share these stories in ways that uh, make the most sense so that they have the largest amount of impact. Um, you know, as you mentioned, I'm Glenn Sterner. I'm an assistant professor of criminal justice at our Abington campus for Penn State University. And most of my work and focus is on uh, essentially the networks of illicit behavior. So what I do is I help to understand things like human sex trafficking, uh, drug trafficking, but also some of the more social science related issues attached to things like stigma, as well as people getting access to, to illicit substances. So <laughs> my work is really varied around uh, the criminal justice realm, but uh, really has these huge policy implications around uh, substance use disorders, uh, as well as how people are getting access to these substances. That's great. Thank you, Glenn. And, and uh, Steve, if you could just give us a quick quick rundown on your, your role with the Attorney General's office and, and some of your background here. Sure. Uh, Michael and Glenn, greetings from Harrisburg, my office here in Strawberry Square. I, uh, I am a member of the executive team for the Pennsylvania Office of Attorney General. The Attorney General, Josh Shapiro, created a position really based upon the evidence that the drug overdose issue was a, becoming an epidemic. And that position is deputy chief of statewide drug initiatives. And my role is to try to come up with uh, new initiatives based on research, what we need to do differently in law enforcement. Uh, you see, I graduated from Penn State University in 1986. And my dream job after graduating was to become a Montgomery County detective, to work for the district attorney in southeastern Pennsylvania, Montgomery County. And I wanted to, I was 21 years old, I wanted to be an undercover uh, detective and have an adventurous career. And uh, eventually that's exactly what I got. And so um, I spent 31 years in Montgomery County uh, working undercover narcotics, uh, had my hand in some other types of cases as well, but. Pretty much my entire career was centered on the drug issues plaguing that county. So I expanded my jurisdiction quite a bit. Uh, now, in, as a statewide uh, deputy chief for the AG's office, I now oversee 67 counties instead of just the one. And I really do get a good idea of uh, sort of the pulse of drug enforcement and, and the trends that are occurring within the uh, drug overdoses and the drug crisis facing us today. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And, and thank you for your service as well. A remarkable career you've had. I, I want to talk today about, uh, you know, there's so many topics that kind of, you know, can, can permeate throughout the, the opioid discussion. Uh, but Pennsylvania is, is remarkably hard, hard hit 
uh, by this, uh, you know, ravaging epidemic. Um, I want to talk today, uh, lift up some of um, Glenn's previous work, uh, in particular around uh, the issue of stigma and substance and substance abuse and opioid use disorder. Uh, so, Glenn, do you want to just uh, give us a rundown on on share your opioid story and and how that uh, the genesis of that remarkable project? Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. Share your opioid story is an initiative that's led by Penn State out of my office here at. Uh, Penn State Abington. And, and the whole point of this is to help us to reduce some of the stigma around uh, substance use disorders more broadly, but really specifically uh, opioid use disorder. And so the whole reason that we, we started this was because of a conversation that I had uh, with a mom of a Penn State alum uh, who is really heavy into his opioid use disorder. Uh, this person got involved in the criminal justice system, I believe is now still incarcerated, and uh, this mom really didn't know who to talk to about this. She couldn't talk to about it with her family because she was feeling discrimination there. Uh, she couldn't talk about it with her friends because she still felt a little awkward, you know, having these conversations around this issue uh, with people in her community because they didn't want to think she didn't want them to think poorly of her son and and their family. And from that conversation, I realized that we really, if we really want to tackle this issue and be able to open up this conversation about what the opioid crisis is, we really had to go to the center. But we had to talk about how this epidemic was affecting people right on the ground, uh, from those people who were in their active use, uh, so people who uh, were currently struggling with a substance use disorder, specifically opioid use disorder, and or you know if they were dealing with multiple uh, use issues. Um, to the family members who might be supporting them, to the people who are affected by this out in the community, whether that's uh, people who are losing loved ones or supporting loved ones, or people like Steve who are actually working on this issue uh, and might be dealing with individuals uh, on the whole spectrum of this. So in order for us to really think about how it is that we can address that issue of stigma, we really have to, first of all, just sit down and talk about what's really going on. And that's what we did here. And so uh, over the course of the past year, I've sat down with over, I think, nearly 50 people, sat down, chatted with them from people who, like I said before, who have lost a loved one, uh, all the way to people who are thankfully now in recovery. And it's been a really life-changing experience for me. And luckily, we've had the ability to capture all of these stories. If you go to shareyouropioidstory.com, you can see there all of these stories that we've collected. Thankfully, we have really great partners in the Department of Drug and Alcohol Programs and the Independence Blue Cross Foundation who have both supported this initiative and signed on as people who uh, believe in the, the necessity of addressing the concept of stigma more broadly. And so through our efforts, we've also taken this out into community conversations uh, this past summer over by the Philadelphia region. And what's really great is that the Wolf Administration has signed on to this and we are now working on this across the Commonwealth, taking these conversations into communities all across the entire state starting in February. Uh, our locations are to be announced. We're, we're trying to finally settle on a couple of these, but for the most part, we're taking this uh, statewide. And so the goal here is to, is to help us really think about what, it, we, what we mean when we say the word stigma, uh, what it is that we think about when we hear about people who are struggling from uh, opioid use disorders and addiction more broadly. And then thinking about how it is that we can address those in our communities, but also personally, how do we, how do we take those first steps? That's that's great. That's so great, Glenn. It's it's uh, I've I was uh, happy to be um, in attendance at the Share Your Good Story kind of conference in Philadelphia, and it's really pretty remarkable work. Very powerful. I also am, have been really impressed by 
the intersection of kind of all the resources and options at the table to support this. So uh, the integration of efforts from the academic circle uh, with government, as well as uh, from DDAP and, 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 uh, and the AG's office, uh, as well as the, the, the corporate uh, in, influx of support as well. So it's been a remarkable uh, kind of roller coaster, I think for you probably. <laughs> Quite a bit of effort has gone into it. I'm really happy for the, the success. And I, I think one thing, um, you know, getting to, to Steve's kind of mandate uh, from, from AG Shapiro to kind of be creative about efforts across the state in mitigating this uh, remarkable problem, uh, not just in opioids, but in, in uh, substance use and, and disorder. It's interesting to think about how this is a new approach. Uh, it's kind of a unique qualitative perspective as well that uh, I think really characterizes and humanizes the, the problem. Have you found success in, in government, Steve, from, from this? Have, have, this has been welcomed with open arms, as, as I understand it, pretty, pretty well. It has. Um, so when the attorney general took office in January of 17, uh, we sort of take, took the pulse of law enforcement statewide. You know, was, was your average policeman, were they, um, were they looking at drug addiction as a disease or were they sort of stuck in that mindset that these people are addicts and, you know, forgive the word junkies, but that's exactly what, what I heard as I traveled the state. Um, people that were overdosing, you know, there were some police officers and certainly some uh, uh, police chiefs that were were not really interested in looking at, you know, how someone fatally uh, overdosed from a drug and, and essentially the idea that if somebody sticks a needle in their arm, it's their own fault that they die. And so clearly that's something, you know, we need to change sort of that, that stigma about people that suffer from substance use disorder, opioid use disorder. And um, so we took the pulse. Um, uh, we'll sort of uh, keep private, sort of our private feelings about it, but we knew that there was work that had to be done, Glenn and, and Michael, um, to sort of convince law enforcement that by not looking at uh, addiction as a disease, we collectively were not going to get to where we want to be. The, the number that all law enforcement and all public health, all government will be looked at, you know, and judged on is the number of fatal drug overdoses. And clearly those statistics show, you know, what great danger our loved ones, our families, our neighbors are in. Uh, with the numbers of deaths, for example, uh, the latest uh, stats from 2017 are more than 5,400 people died from drug overdose. So, Michael, looking at <clears throat> as far as research and, and the great work that Penn State is doing in that regard, law enforcement really has to look at uh, good research to, in order to decide what initiatives to take on. And so, for example, of the 5,400 drug overdoses uh, last year in Pennsylvania, more than two-thirds of them are from opioids uh, in one fashion or another. In other words, fentanyl, the synthetic fentanyl from China, from Mexico, the heroin, which is mainly uh, sourced out of Mexico, and then the prescription opioids, the pills. And so any law enforcement initiative, for example, in the AG's office, they have become our priorities. That's a big deal. Intelligence-led investigation 
is something that's sort of new. You know, looking at research and then deciding what our priorities are is something sort of new in a lot of law enforcement circles. In the past, and I've done drug work, as I said, since the 1980s, we were led around by our informant. Our informants were our bosses. Those people that wanted sort of help on the legal side of things or, or that were paid informants, they took us to drug dealers that they knew. Well, that's not acceptable anymore because if we arrest someone for a small amount of cocaine and they want to give up their cocaine source, we need to ask them, okay, thank you very much for your, your, your promise to assist us on this cocaine case, but can you please tell me where do we get fentanyl in this town? And that's just something new. Mm-hmm. Um, does that make sense? In other words, in other words, we need to target the dealers whose drugs are really killing people. That's right. We don't, we do not, you know, we don't overlook any complaint we get. We don't overlook other drugs because sometimes the neighborhood pot dealer, the one that's confronting people's children and saying, come on, let me sell you a bag of pot. We, we have to address that, right? Because it's the quality of life of that community. However, our priority cases are the dealers whose drugs are killing. Sure, sure. Absolutely. And that's, that's the intersection of the, the criminal justice system and a public health disaster, really. Uh, trying to be responsive to the needs of, of the population. I, going back to, um, to Glenn's work with, with the share your opioid story piece, you know, no matter what uh, remarkable prevention intervention programs that, that the state and the federal system and, and a variety of uh, private systems could, could dream up, uh, if we're not having those who are suffering of these disorders actually taking part in them because of shame and, and, and a variety of other uh, complicated emotions that, that bring into this, um, and this, this resource is going to waste. So have you seen Glenn from your experience, you know, a, a real opening up of, um, you know, breaking, breaking down some of these walls between people? So I, I think that we have a long way to go in this regards. So unfortunately I, I do see that people still feel this, this shame, but over the past year where I have had the chance to talk with people from across the state, I will say this, that there has been a, an understanding that we do need to, to talk about this more broadly, perhaps more than we have before. And, you know, I mean, think about the, the, the conversation that we're having right here with Steve and the work that you're doing out there in communities with law enforcement officials. When we were in, in you know, roughly two, three years ago, when we were thinking about deploying Narcan as an option uh, just to save people who were overdosing, Steve, you know that this was a, a hard sell for some of these, these law enforcement officials, right? Um, yeah, it's correct. Yeah. But, but through your efforts and through the work of the AG, as well as through some of our other colleagues in the state police and other areas, we've been able to open up conversations, even within criminal justice agencies that, that might have been more hesitant to see this as a public health issue. Uh, and they have started, you know, essentially all of our places, all of our jurisdictions across the, com- uh, excuse me, the Commonwealth um, now carry Narcan. That's a big deal. Right. To be able to yeah, say that we absolutely. have this group of people that really do care about saving people's lives. Now we can start to have that conversation about what happens when they have to save the same person over and over. Uh, right. And you attached to some of the stigma that might be you know, posing around that, that, that concept. But for the most part, what we are seeing is that people are recognizing that we do want to see less people dying and that this is an all hands on deck. And whatever it is that it's going to take, 
uh, we're going to work on this together. And I think that that's really evident in some of the work that you're doing, Steve, but also in some of the conversations that I'm having with folks from those who are serving people who are with an uh, active substance use disorder, all to the way to the people who are, you know, moving into recovery. Thankfully. Sure. And I'm, I'm always struck by, especially in, in such a remarkably pervasive and complex problem, such as uh, this epidemic and substance use in general, how these are all uh, interconnecting systems. So, um, you know, you're, you're, you guys are referencing here the, the evolution of perspectives towards the use of Narcan. And now we have the Secretary of Health with a standing order for Narcan uh, to any Pennsylvanian uh, in pharmacies across the state. So there's, there's clearly a uh, efforts that kind of step out of criminal justice space. They step into uh, human services and, and the health departments. Um, it's really the, the, the all hands on deck approach is, uh, is very interesting. Um, have you, Steve, have you seen, um, and I know that the governor Wolf has really embraced a, uh, Commonwealth wide approach. Can you speak to some of your intersections with other, uh, state agencies and departments? Absolutely. Uh, the attorney general's office and me in particular, I meet with uh, our public health counterparts uh, quite often, uh, at least once, once a month. Uh, in fact, I uh, spent three days out in Cleveland with a group of people from our public health side in Pennsylvania, joined with uh, both public health and law enforcement officials from around the nation for an opioid conference. Um, it, it is a complete uh, collaboration between the attorney general's office and the governor uh, here in Pennsylvania. You know, we represent sort of uh, the law enforcement side of things, but we sit at the table with public health people. We talk about naloxone. We talk about med- medication assisted treatment. Um, all of these things that are uh, designed to, to certainly reduce the fatal drug overdoses, but also get people into treatment uh, and recovery. So um, yeah, we, Pennsylvania is, is fortunate in that regard. Uh, nobody's fighting, Glenn. <laughs> Everybody's getting along. Uh, we encourage one another to to sort of um, go out and try new initiatives. Uh, to uh, we, we talk about things like the cause of this entire crisis, right? The opioid addiction. And that would be uh, the pharmaceutical uh, medicines, the opioids that people were prescribed, you know, that, that for chronic pain. And so... When we talk about those things, we decided to really put an emphasis on diversion. You know, we, we just felt like there was a, a huge amount of overprescribing nationally and certainly in Pennsylvania. So we put uh, greater law enforcement efforts on diversion because, again, it made sense. The research showed people were getting addicted using heroin and fentanyl, for example, uh, because of their exposure to um, opioid prescriptive uh, prescription drugs. And so, you know, everything, you know, Penn State should be very happy. Everything in law enforcement that's progressive is really based on research and studies. And, and certainly we could talk about evidence-based initiatives. You know, we want to make sure we study what we do to make sure it's reaching the goals that we want. So it's very important. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really, uh, you know, one thing that very much excites me, and I know it excites Glenn as well, is is how we can better utilize the academic community, you know, social science and data-driven approaches to really support practitioners like yourself and, and government writ large. It's really remarkable to 
see partners with this experimental mindset uh, where they're willing to uh, take some risks on approaches that may be uh, not, not the, the standard in their, in their field. So I think that seeing this evolution of, of mindsets uh, has been really, really uh, impressive. And I think the criminal justice system has been doing a, a very good job with that. Of course, the criminal justice system in Pennsylvania, just like in many states, is quite fractured and we have lots of players. Uh, uh, and again, the, as you mentioned, hopefully everyone's playing, playing nice in the sandbox. But I wanted to, uh, to kind of talk about that, how, how to lift up, you know, better, better utilize social science um, and some of the, the social science metrics and data that Glenn uses in much of his work in criminology and sociology to, uh, to better support government missions. Um, the, the share your opioid story is kind of a unique, unique approach here in that it's effectively kind of humanizing qualitative uh, case studies here. Um, but I don't know, Glenn, if you want to talk a little bit more about what interesting data sets there are across the state that has some potential for opening up some doors here. Yeah, well, so I think that there's lots of different opportunities here. And, and, and Steve's been really incredible as a, as a partner in all of this because he essentially has an open door policy for, for the work that we're trying to, to conduct with him. And it's been really nice to see that <laughs> that the AG's office is so willing to, to say, hey, look, let's come in here, let's work on these innovative projects, but also let's make sure that we are evaluating them so that we're not just doing things to do things, right? And so they've, they've taken a really excellent approach to that aspect as well. There's lots of different data, uh, you know, from the researcher perspective that has the potential for influencing policy decision-making processes. Uh, one of the key data sets that I think is really important is, you know, I've mentioned this before, but where naloxone is being administered, the Pennsylvania State Police has just now uh, pulled together a, a more comprehensive system for allowing us to understand where this is being deployed. Uh, we now have, uh, I believe it's through the Pennsylvania Department of Drug and Alcohol Programs and the Department of Health. They have dashboards now that are available for us to make uh, better make, make uh, get us better access, I should say, to the key data sets that will allow us to c combine uh, some of the law enforcement data all the way to uh, some of the public health data. And so when we start to be able to understand the influence, of, excuse me, the confluence of these data sets and where it is that we are seeing whether that is uh, arrest patterns or distribution of naloxone patterns or a whole host of different patterning, uh, we can then start to understand where we need to deploy resources more appropriately. And that's a lot of what we're trying to do. So uh, let's evaluate some of the practices that we're doing, uh, making sure that the programs that we're, uh, that we're developing as well as implementing in our communities are actually having an impact, utilizing some of these administrative data sets. But also let's take a look at just the data itself and find ways that we can potentially develop more programs that might be more uh, effective at addressing some of these key conceptual issues of uh, both public health as well as crime and, and issues of criminology. That's great to hear. Yeah, it's, it's, there, there really is a remarkable wealth of, of data out there. It's, it's really trying to connect the dots to, to showcase what is, what is valuable and what's uh, you know, usable really for, for government approaches. Yeah. One thing, uh, Glenn, I know that we've talked about this before, but um, one thing that's really crucial about the intersection of, of government and academic efforts in a lot of uh, different issue areas and domains is a discussion of the, the timeline. So, um, you know, often, and I'm sure Steve can, 
can account to this. Uh, in my almost decade in federal government service, the, we needed, we need information yesterday. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and the timeline is often very, very short and compressed uh, and, and reactive. It's not always um, the opportunity to craft research questions and plan um, in, in advance. So um, Glenn and, and Steve, your opinions on that, I want to I wanna see how we can brainstorm efforts to really bring ourselves closer to uh, the same timeline. I agree. I agree. These, uh, we need to be very nimble in law enforcement and we need to know what the trends are, uh, what the best policies, best um, practices are. And because as you know, Michael, from your time in the federal government, steering that big ship, um, it takes time and effort to, to, to turn it in a new direction. And it's the data, the research that gives us sort of the power uh, to change the way we're, we're doing things. You know, in the old days, uh, we just uh, tackled every drug problem by increasing the numbers of arrests. And, and we know we can't arrest our way out of this crisis. We realize that by looking at the data, looking at the research, um, just the fact that we make more drug arrests does not mean less Pennsylvanians will die from this, uh, this epidemic. So, but steering that large ship of law enforcement requires a lot of thought and a lot of research because when you take the steps to move it in a different direction, you know, you have to have the data to back it up or at least to prove that you've reached your goal. Um, I remember the days with DEA, for example, being a large ship, um, it was very difficult for them when they saw sort of cocaine on a rise and then it's, it, it, it peaked out and then all of a sudden methamphetamine started infecting the country back in the, in the early nineties, late eighties, early nineties. And they had to steer that big DEA ship, uh, those thousands of agents and, and administrators uh, and get them refocused in, in most regions uh, to fight the, the meth epidemic. And so, you know, we really police commanders uh, that are progressive. Um, you know, they go they go back to school like I did. I got my master's degree in 2016. So you you at Penn State, uh, the academic field will have great influence on future police commanders uh, through their master's programs uh, to introduce law enforcement com- commanders to research to uh, statistics. And, and really that's how we need to make decisions. Um, when it comes to sort of uh, the investment of time and effort and money in making changes uh, to our efforts in law enforcement, you know, there's not an unlimited supply of, of money. Sure. And, it, and so we need to really think through and hopefully back it up with statistics on, on what we're doing. That's right. And then the other side of the coin there, and I'll ask uh, Glenn to respond to this, you know, your responsibility is to balance academic rigor and some of the crucial foundations of, of the academy, like peer review and uh, how we move forward science. So this, this is, this, I'm not saying we have a solution for it. I just want to make sure we're thinking about, critically thinking about how to, how to make this timeline tighter so we're more responsive to the needs, as, as Steve notes. Yeah, and I think that a lot of this is is from the very ground up. So when we start developing these new initiatives that we think that could be effective in our communities from the practitioner side of things, one way to make that happen quicker is to involve an academic partner from the very beginning. So here's a really great example. 
Steve and I have been working with our colleagues, Janet Welsh and Derek Krager to evaluate some of the uh, effectiveness around drug take back boxes. Are these actually having an impact on our communities, reducing supplies? What are people actually putting in these boxes? And so through some of the work that we're trying to do, we've, we've, we've been able to pull some pilot data uh, around this and get some indications that, you know, likely what we are seeing is, yeah, it's, we are pulling uh, prescription opioid painkillers from the market and reducing the uh, availability uh, for diversion through these types of initiatives. But through that pilot data, we are now able to expand this into a much more scientific study that will allow us to comprehensively evaluate this practice. And so by having Steve there, by having the Department of Drug and Alcohol Programs invite us in as partners and, avail and increasing our availability to get out into the communities to do this work, uh, we're able to turn these, these uh, research questions into actual answers uh, that will be both for the academy, so how, do it, how it is that we can advance science, but also making sure that we're developing them in a way in conjunction with practitioners to reach conclusions that will actually impact their practices and policies. Another really good example is uh, the relationship that I've been able to forge with the uh, Pennsylvania State Police on this, this topic of drug trafficking. And so we are now working with them, thankfully, uh, through some support from the federal government through the National Institute of Justice on examining this very key issue of how substances are being moved in and around uh, the geography of parts of our, our commonwealth. But from that initial conversation, we've now been able to develop something that is more practitioner oriented. So it's not just for science, not just for answering a question, but how is it that we can take what we're learning from that project and turn it into something that is going to actually impact Pennsylvanians. And we've been able to, to successfully pull together a grant from the Department of Justice, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, uh, where we've been successful in uh, developing a grant to do exactly that through what is being uh, called the triad program. Now this is just in its infancy, but we'll be there from the very ground up so we can help them evaluate along with the way that they are developing this project so that we can make sure that we have rapid response to some of the questions that they have, but also making sure that we are answering questions that will hopefully advance science and our understanding of crime and, and crime patterns across not just our commonwealth, but hopefully across the nation. That's great. Yeah, I think it really showcases the, um, you know, with close uh, cooperation and um, from, um, you know, ground floor entrance to, to some of these uh, discussions, there's a way to co-incentivize uh, practitioners and academics in, in a way that their goals align, right? So science is being moved forward uh, at the same time being responsive to the needs of, uh, of practitioners and government. And another point that I think uh, especially in reference to the, the DDAP work in the take back programs, there, there's a really great potential just for informing institutional processes, right? Streamlining things to, to ensure these, uh, these programs even are more effective, right? So Great. there's, there's a remarkable amount of value to having a, an external evaluator. Yeah, if I might add, in Pennsylvania, there are, as of today, 811 drug take-back boxes located within police departments uh, throughout uh, Pennsylvania. And then, of course, there's additional ones that uh, pharmacies are beginning to install. And the big question that Glenn and I had is, well, what are actually what are people putting in those boxes? <laughs> you know, are they, are they, is it aspirin that's expired? Is it, you know, you know, non-opioid medications? And 
you know, other than sort of anecdotally, uh, law enforcement, you know, we, we collect the stuff out of the box. So we kind of get an idea what's in there. Uh, but no one has ever researched before what exactly uh, is being done, you know, put in there. So exactly. <laughs> but, but also the effect upon sort of the public raising the awareness of the issue. And, and I think there's some impact in that uh, letting, you know, when a local police department that had very little contact with its community, other than making arrests or traffic violations, when they have a box, installed in their police department and the public comes in because they keep putting out on their Facebook and letting the, the local media know, Hey, we have this box. We care about the problem. There's an effect, a positive effect within the community and it raises the participants awareness of drugs as an issue of opioids as an issue. And so it, it would be interesting to study, you know, you know, where did that go? Did, did, did they learn more about drug addiction because police have, you know, put these boxes in their, in their, uh, in their police departments. It's just, it, to me, it's a fascinating new initiative. Uh, it's taken years to get these boxes in, but, you know, somebody needed to study it because it's a great effort to get policy for this, to make sure the boxes are secure, the, the cleaning the boxes out and getting those drugs destroyed. That's a whole labor intensive uh, process. And so Glenn's research is very, very important. Police chiefs across our state will look at this research and, and determine themselves, is this a valuable program? Right. And, and to ensure that the you know, years of, of effort put into deploying such a program are really maximizing the, the utilization, right? Correct. That's right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, with that, I'd like to uh, kind of bring this episode to a close. Thank you both so much for your remarkable insights. I wanted to give you both the opportunity to provide any closing thoughts and, you know, and any perspectives on um, kind of really leveraging uh, social science to support criminal justice mission. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm happy to, to start this off. You know, we, we've talked a lot about these different projects that we're all engaged in, uh, whether that's the, that's the Share Your Opioid Story initiative around addressing stigma uh, to looking at some of the research around drug take back box initiatives. All of these are, we see these as separate initiatives, but really they're incredibly interrelated. Stigma has an effect on if people are going to actually drop uh, these substances off at these events, right? You don't want to be seen as somebody who might be a, a pill pusher uh, or somebody who's even taking opioids at this point, because there's a negative stigma around people who are even prescribed these substances. And so how is it that we can utilize these various projects to ensure that we are maximizing our impact? And I think that, uh, you know, Thankfully, we have incredible partners in, in the attorney general's office, but also in the state police, uh, across other areas in our criminal justice uh, realm, that we have the ability to take what's going on in these individual projects, think about how it is that can actually impact policy and, and programmatic development, as well as implementation, and then taking that and, and making sure that we are evaluating and researching in that so that we can address it and start that cycle over again to either you know, implement change, implement something different, or develop an opportunity to expand. And so the more that we connect from the research side of things to the practical application to the policy side of things, we can actually make a huge difference in our communities across the Commonwealth, uh, but also making sure that we're going uh, right down to the actual individual who's affected by this, this epidemic uh, currently, but also any emerging threats that might occur uh, in the future. 
That's great. Thank you. Uh, Steve, any, any closing thoughts here? Sure. I'll, uh, I'd like to share some of my insights, uh, perhaps where our academic friends and colleagues want, want to know what is law enforcement thinking about doing? What are we thinking about uh, investing our time and efforts in? Because I think that will help you and your colleagues, your students, uh, learn about what what research we want and we need. And so as stigma gets reduced uh, around the United States and certainly in Pennsylvania, not only among those that are suffering from addiction, but also their family members, the public, and law enforcement, law enforcement has a greater interest in getting people in the treatment. It's a lot better if somebody can get in recovery and not be using uh, illegal drugs. Um, it's a lot better for public safety. Uh, our burglaries will be reduced. Our car uh, thefts, our thefts out of vehicles, retail thefts, all those crimes attributed to drug, sort of the addiction, uh, the need for the, the opioids, we can reduce them. So as far as research, law enforcement assisted diversion is a very important model that we are trying in the attorney general's office to uh, uh, support throughout uh, all of our police agencies. And so uh, having police introduce people into treatment is something that we think is a, a positive thing, and we want that studied. Uh, we want to see how treatment is going and see what are the best treatment models. Because when we refer someone to treatment, we want to make sure it works, you know, that it has a, you know, a, a good payback for all the time and effort that we have and we take in putting people and getting people into treatment. Um, I really enjoy the research surrounding drug courts and the other alternative diversionary uh, courts. Uh, those are important things that we study uh, at the command level to make sure things are working as we hoped. Additionally, um, there's some great stuff going out there with um, taking a look at each and every um, unfortunate fatal drug overdose and finding out whether opportunities missed, not only just by uh, the, the person himself or herself, but perhaps by family, by local government, by police, by the courts, by jails and, and, and prisons, were there opportunities, were there intersections between that person who eventually overdosed fatally and public health or government? And so these fatal uh, overdose reviews is something that, um, that we find very interesting because it's uh, the, the places that do this, they learn which services could have been rendered a little bit better. And, you know, and so those are sort of things that um, as a uh, as someone who really appreciates research, um, we hope that people dig into these these type of uh, uh, initiatives that law enforcement is, is thinking about. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much. Um, I want to, again, thank my guest, Dr. Glenn Sterner, Assistant Professor of Criminal Justice at the Penn State uh, Abington campus and Steve Forsato, Deputy Chief of Statewide Drug Initiatives, Pennsylvania Office of the Attorney General. Again, I'm your host, Michael Donovan, a Director of Policy and Outreach at Penn State's Administrative Data Accelerator and the Associate Director at the Evidence to Impact Collaborative. And this has been another episode of the Evidence to Impact podcast. Thanks for listening.